This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Thursday the 20th of April, 2017. Episode 12, The Fandom Menace. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. My name is Jonathan Wildman and I hope you all had had a lovely Easter break and enjoyed the extended bank holiday weekend. We're going to leave the world of tech aside this episode and we're going to return to the world of movies. And joining me again, I'm pleased to announce that I have our resident film aficionado Bronson Green with us. Bronson, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Um, in terms of movies, there's been lots that's gone on the past uh, the past last week or so, but mainly um, the stuff that's come out of um, the Star Wars Celebration event. First, I'll run through um, uh, some of the news and rumours that uh, uh, have hit the internet over the past week. Um, firstly, um, Avatar, the sequel to Avatar. You, st- you remember that there's still that James Cameron's working on sequels to Avatar, right? He's working on about four or five, isn't he? Well, he's working on five apparently, and um, wow. so the, the the original the sequel to Avatar, which is still the highest grossing film of all time, isn't it? I believe. So the sequel yeah. to Avatar, yeah, I think it is, isn't it? I, I believe so. Yeah, I don't think it's been overtaken. No, no. So the sequel to Avatar was supposed to be released uh, 2014 originally, and then that changed to uh, 2018. But James Cameron recently said that 2018 is not happening. So uh, a quote, he says, 2018 is not happening. We haven't announced a firm release date. And then he goes on to try and make people understand that they're not just making Avatar 2, they're making 2, 3, 4, and 5. Okay, so it's three sequels, or four sequels. Um... So it's an epic undertaking. Do you think people still care after this long? Um, it's a funny one. They're building that Avatar theme park, aren't they, in uh, Universal Studios Florida or something? Or is it at Disneyland? I don't know. It's Well, I think people will go and see it if Fox and Cameron, and, and if they're all clever enough to market it as another leap forward in uh, cinema technology, uh, you know, a must-see movie for that reason. I think if they market it like that, this first sequel will probably draw a lot of people in and it will make its money back and then some. But to try to making it into a series where it's going to end up as six films or, or whatever, who knows, maybe more, that's a bit optimistic. I'm not sure I can see its franchise potential like that. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, it is the highest grossing movie, but I don't think it's proven itself yet. I mean, most people you speak to have forgotten what happens in that film. 
to be quite honest, and have forgotten most of the characters. And I think we've mentioned this before, but I just find it funny. So they're going to miss 2018. So we're talking about 2019, the earliest. That's just crazy. Um, when was that? When, when was the original released? Was it like 2009? Just, Is that right? I was just about to ask you the same thing. I think it was 2009. I think... Um, I understand what you say that people have already probably forgotten about it, but that won't matter because in the build up to the film, it'll be on TV again. There'll be the documentaries and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they'll make it a compelling enough event for people to want to go and see it. I mean, in my opinion, it made so much money first time around, mainly because people wanted to see it in 3D because they really promoted that angle, didn't they? That it's a film that has to be seen in 3D that it's a leap forward in uh, special effects and that's the true way to experience it. I think everyone jumped on that bandwagon and rightly so to some extent because I like the film a lot. But um, once you get over the novelty of that again after the after part two, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with try and marketing subsequent episodes because like I say, I can't see it making huge money installment after installment a bit like star wars is now like star wars is making a billion every year can't see avatar doing that yeah um well um, hopefully it'll be released eventually um james cam's admitted that it's you know it's gonna take over the next eight years of his life and he's a good director and it's a it's, it's actually a shame to have lost him to this franchise um he's done nothing since has he and um yeah i, I don't I, I, I agree. He's such a good uh, director, such a creative uh, force of energy that, um, for example, the fact that he's probably never going to go back to direct a Terminator movie, even after the the, the rights revert back to him, that that's a bit of a crying shame. It is. Uh, so because of that, hopefully these things can be released and released quickly. And he, he seems to be convinced there's a story to tell. I mean, the fact that there is four sequels and his, his, his story seems to be expanded in his head. That, I guess that's encouraging, but we'll see. We'll see. He's probably looked at what Lucas did with Star Wars. He's probably looked at what Ridley Scott's doing with Alien. Probably looked at what Peter Jackson's done with Lord of the Rings. And he's thought, oh, I want a franchise too. Um, <laughs> oh, I want some of this. So that's possibly that's part of it because he has got a huge ego, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, so that's Avatar 2, 3, 4. Um, Can right. I just have the final word on that? Can I just say I'm happy for there to be a franchise out there like Avatar, by the way, because it's certainly far better than a lot of the other Hollywood franchises, especially that absolute nadir of cinema, the Fast Furious franchise, which just every time I see a another Fast Furious movie being promoted. It, it just makes me want to vomit. You know what? It's nice you said that because that's an interesting segue because I was going to mention that next. So, hey. fa- yeah. So, so the Fast and Furious 8 is called over here, but it's called Fate of the Furious in the States. Um, first of all, it's absurd that this is the eighth installment and this thing is still going. Um, and I've heard it's completely ridiculous. I've heard there's stupid little things that happen like you know the rock you know Dwayne the rock johnson you know, the ex-wrestler is in it and he does things like he stops a, a, a nuclear missile with his bare hands or some such nonsense and there's just cars flying in the air and all sorts of yeah it just looks terrible but for some reason people like it and you think okay eventually this thing will die down it won't do so well it's doing really well it's actually beaten 
The Force Awakens for the biggest global opening, which almost guarantees the ninth instalment. Wow. It's I think crazy. I think it's it, it's it is a big surprise, but considering how many poor movies get made and then get seen by an audience which isn't that demanding, um, maybe from that point of view, it isn't that shocking that a boneheaded franchise like that gets eaten up by the people out there, a lot of whom really don't demand that much from their cinema. And and also, I suppose, I mean, I haven't checked all the figures for the, the, the gross domestic and international, but I'm assuming a little bit like, I don't know, Charlie Chaplin or whatever, there's something about those movies which transcends the language because of because it is it's the spectacle and the stunts, I think, which are keeping these movies popular to the point where if you live in a country where English isn't your first language, you can still probably watch one of those movies and you know what you're going to get women cars ridiculous stunts you know to the point where it really does not matter um i mean that, that that's why chaplin was world famous wasn't he obviously silent cinema at the time it's, that's why something which is in my opinion ridiculously bland like mr bean that that is a global phenomenon believe it or not and it's made mega money if you, if you actually look at some of the figures of the tv show and the, the movies that have been spawned and, and again that's purely because it transcends um transcends language the only actually just talking about british exports like that the only british export that did become a bit of a global phenomenon which i was a fan of because it transcended uh, the language side of it was benny hill oh yeah you never see that on tv again <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a product of its time, but I'll tell oh, you yeah. what, it was, uh, it, was, it was almost great. There's certain TV shows which we loved, um, like, I mean, the Kenny Everett show, which was a brilliant comedy sketch show, you know, you see that going on. I mean, even the A-Team, I mean, look at it. You had a, uh, an old guy who smoked, chain-smoked cigars, you had an angry black man, you had a mental, um, uh, escaped mental patient, and uh, you had um, a con artist, and they were the hero. <laughs> so um yeah you won't get a tv show like that again will you? yeah they don't make them like they used to oh dear <laughs> so uh yeah so fast and furious eight yeah crazy uh crazy money so it, i think it grossed uh 532 and a half million worldwide opening weekend it beat force awakens force awakens was 529 so wow um and and i'm, I'm i don't know i presume there's a plot there must be a plot somewhere in there in these movies. Like same characters keep appearing. I mean, I watched, I've only watched the first, I think I've seen the first two and I've seen most of the one in Tokyo. Was that the third one? I think it was the third one. Wasn't um, it? Tokyo Drift. I've only seen the first one and that was enough for me. Um, I think the films have morphed into something else. Like I said, it was a bit of a, it was supposed to be a crime action movie to start off with now i think it's just it's, it's purely about the stunts and the pyrotechnics and if that's what the franchise has to do to survive then that's what it will do i mean make some money why not why not why you know why why disrupt a winning formula yeah we've spent too much time talking about it we mate. have spent way too much time talking about it <laughs> so um i want to ask you very quickly because I, I didn't speak to you about logan you, you said you caught that i never got around to watching that was it any good oh you never saw it um it was entertaining to a point, but to cut a long story short, James Mangold, the guy who directed Copland and Girl Interrupted, I think, he 
he listen, he botched the first two Wolverine movies. They're progressively getting better, but he's botched this one as well, unfortunately. Um, it's the best of the three. You'd expect that because it's R-rated, extreme violence and bad language in it. But um, he hasn't quite done justice, I don't think, to that character. And also, um, well, spoiler alert for anyone who's not seen it, you might want to switch the podcast off now. Um, the, the two major deaths of legacy characters from the in that film, obviously the title character plus uh, uh, John Luke Picard. I mean uh, Patrick Stewart. Um, neither of them were executed uh, the way they should have been, and uh, yeah, it was a real, real disappointment. Hugh Jackman is good; he does his best, but uh, they botched it. I'm afraid. Oh, okay, okay. So I can give it a miss or wait till it's showed on TV or something. Yeah, I missed that one completely. Uh, well, let's move on quickly from Logan. Um, looking forward, uh, sort of uh, big franchise movies looking forward. So we've got, um, well, you're a Transformers fan. We've got Transformers last night, isn't that? Um, being released in late June, June 23rd, I think. You looking forward to that? Well, when it premieres, I hope that is its last night and that we don't get any more after. You see what they did? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm a Transformers fan. I'm not a, a Bayformers fan. Um, uh, I think I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast that there's a real sort of split in the Transformers community between people who are happy to have this franchise based on the fact that they're happy to have any Transformers. And then you've got the other half of fans, um, which I'm a part of, who we, we abhor these movies. Um, we, we hate them from an aesthetic point of view. They're ugly, they're horrible. They're not made with uh, any kind of intellectual approach or with any kind of panache. I think it's the same approach to plotting and imagery in these movies that you have in the Fast and Furious franchise, quite Mm. frankly. It's aimed at the lowest common denominator. The trailers didn't titillate me. You've got quotes from people like Anthony Hopkins coming out and saying things like Michael Bay is a genius. I mean, come on, they've got the PR machine in overdrive. But um, this sucker ain't fooled i'm not going to be seeing it but i know that they've already got planned a few more sequels i think there's going to be a spin-off bumblebee movie and i'm just listen if you could see me now you'd see i've got my head in my hands there's a a tear rolling down my cheek it's uh it's not what i'm into and and that's saying something considering i'm a huge transformers fan oh dear but they just keep making them. They keep making them. So I guess, yeah, you're right. If you're a Transformers fan, it's nice to see Transformers still there in in terms of the mainstream. People know what they are and the kid, and there's a new generation of kids who know what Transformers are. But then again, I suppose it's bittersweet because you feel like, uh, you know, what you, what you loved is being tarnished by these movies, these very formulaic movies. So... Yeah, well, the suits at Hasbro, they've again, I think I might have mentioned this previously, so I won't go on about it, but they've got the franchise clearly split up um, into three kind of broad categories. Um, the casual fans who go and see these films, and then they will buy some of the toys. And then you have fans like me. We get serviced, if you like, by comic books and some of the web content and reissues of old toys and exclusive toys that are sold at conventions and then the third segment is um kids who are into the cartoons which come on children's tv and then 
is yet another toy line associated with them. So the suits at Hasbro, that's how they've decided to approach it. Um, it doesn't mean I'm particularly happy, um, but I can see what they're doing, why they're doing it. Sadly, it probably means we won't have my dream come true, which is a computer, fully computer generated generation one um, cinematic movie of the Transformers. That I, I think is some way off and that, that would be my dream. But um, hey, look, I don't want to sound completely down in the dumps. On a positive note, I did also say, you, you probably remember this, which you remember I, I mentioned that out of all the franchises that have been trampled on by Hollywood, the one that's actually been improved by the big entertainment machine um, is My Little Pony. You remember I mentioned that? You You did mention that, yeah. Right, so there is a My Little Pony cinematic movie coming out, Friendship is Magic, in, uh, right. in the summer or the autumn. And my niece is a huge fan, and I've promised to take her. And look, I won't pretend, I won't get a small nostalgic buzz myself from watching it. I'm, listen, I'm not a brony, as they're called. That's, uh, that's what male My Little Pony fans are called. I'm not certainly not a brony, but I will get a kick out of seeing other things. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, having one niece next to me in the cinema, she'll be enjoying it, and I'll I'll, I'll lap that up to a small degree. You know, it's just again, it's um, tasting a little bit of my childhood, even if it is vicariously. So, oh, that's nice. That's nice. Okay, My Little Pony in probably summer. I'm guessing. I don't know what the release date is. But it seems silly if I didn't release it for the summer holidays, but yeah. yeah um okay cool so looking forward again um here's one that i think you might be looking forward to um alien covenant yes yeah we briefly talked about this actually uh, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago it's funny how or prometheus um, too whatever way you want to look at it yeah which it effectively will be um we'll talk a lot more about star wars later but it's funny how i am now looking forward to alien covenant more than I'm looking forward to episode eight. And um, again, I'll talk about the, the negative side of Star Wars, if you like, later. Um, but I am really quite compelled by what Ridley's doing. I'm a massive Ridley Scott fan. I know that he's kind of hit and miss. You know, for every Blade Runner and Gladiator he makes, he also makes a 1492 Conquest of Paradise or a G.I. Jane. I know that. <laughs> but um, a lot of people didn't like Prometheus. I. I thought it was hugely flawed, but I still watched it four times, maybe even five. I can't remember how many times I watched it now. I love being swept off my feet by sci-fi, taken into another universe, and for these events to slowly unfold to a kind of tragic climax, which is basically what happens in these movies. And from what I've learned of Alien Covenant, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, how much would you want me to disclose in terms of spoilers on this podcast. Well, let's not spoil it too much, but I, let me ask you something. So I've seen Prometheus once at the cinema. Pretty sure I saw it with you once. Yeah. Um, I've never really, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I've never really um, been compelled to watch it again. So remind me and remind the listeners where we are with this franchise. So this is a sequel to Prometheus. Where are we in terms of what's, what's going on? Okay, so um, originally Prometheus was supposed to be a direct prequel to Alien. It's obvious that during the production at some point they ditched that idea. And um, even though the planetoid that the Prometheus lands on is a different one from the one that the crew find in the original Alien film, you can see how events 
in Prometheus might have led into Alien if they decided to, to go that way. You can tell they sort of bailed at the last minute on that one. Now, the creature that we see burst out of the engineer at the end of Prometheus, it's, it's called the Deacon, I think, because of the shape of its head. Mm. It's like a Deacon's hat. Um, that creature was supposed to potentially go on and have events of its gestation and life dedicated to one of these movies but they're not going to do that now it's probable we'll never see that creature again now actually so he's kind of just stranded on that planet the sequel to prometheus will be the two survivors if you like the android david the fassbender character and then yeah. elizabeth shaw um those two characters going off and actually finding the engineer's planet which obviously those they said that they wanted to, to do and I think you can tell from some of the um, the trailers, the TV spots, and the marketing material that's been released. So this isn't really spoiler territory. You can see what's... You've seen snippets of what's happened. I think Covenant is going to basically pick up where this terraforming colonization crew, they land on this planet that seems to be a bit of a paradise, but then they realize it's got a civilization on it which has all gone to hell. Yeah. And it looks like it looks like they've been the victims of something that David and Elizabeth Shaw have done to them. Um, and that's fascinating. So, I mean, look, I, I, I remember reading when I was reading about Prometheus that it wasn't so much about Giga's alien creature as it was about this book, which Ridley Scott was obsessed with called Chariot of the Gods, which is a, a sci fi book about the scientific theory that humanity didn't sort of wasn't born on earth it, it was actually seeded here by an alien race right. and, and and it grew on so and so forth i think when he was brainstorming prometheus he probably him and other scientific minds they probably came up with dozens of ideas which were so good that he thought you know what i can just spend each film delving into one of these ideas in each film i think that's possibly what he's going to do because he's talking about two trilogies now and i don't know where that came from two trilogies so wow okay two prequel trilogies if we're i believe so i think he said six movies leading up to the start of the original alien you I know you know what's funny um so prometheus was originally supposed to be you know a direct prequel to alien and then ridley scott changed his mind and said no it's what sort of spiritually connected to alien that's about it um now they're going all out and they're connecting this sequel to the alien franchise i mean you know it's supposed to be called paradise now you have the alien title in there quite clearly um i don't know if you've seen have you seen the um the 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 one sheet oh i have it's beautiful actually yeah it's brilliant isn't it that's a real nod to uh, Giga and um, well, well, just just to the roots of the franchise. It's really it's really cool one sheet that caught my it, attention. To be quite honest, it's also a nod to um, some classic artwork, which has been obviously dedicated to works like Paradise Lost by Milton and other other such works. You know where you get like a frame within which there's. I don't know, a vision of hell, perhaps. You've got dozens of figures, some of them writhing around in pain, some of them delighting yeah. it, poking others with a pitchfork, uh, or sort of a trident or pitchfork. Um, and it kind of, the first thing I thought of was actually that, but you're 100% right. It also looks like one of those um, kind of uh, landscapes that Giga painted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that. I mean, it's funny because that, that, 
I knew, I was aware that the sequel was, was, was imminent and I was just, I wasn't too fussed about it. I was like, okay, when it comes out, I might catch it, you know? Um, but yeah, that caught my attention. That, that, that one sheet is beautiful. Um, and it's, it's compelling to look at. And, um, and they've gone all out with the, um, the PR on this, haven't they? They've like, um, you, you've seen that mock ad campaign for the new Android that Fassbender plays and Walter, I think the follow up to David, have you seen that? Yeah. That went yeah, viral. They, they did some of these, um, <clears throat> some of this web content for Prometheus, very similar to that. And I, yeah, I have seen that, but, and do you know what it was first, first I want to say it was, it was a good advert. There's a little nod in there to 2001. Did you notice that? Where after it, after Walter gets manufactured, he's sitting in a lounge mm. with a bunch mm. of people. One of those people obviously owns him. Yeah. And cause it's a bit like having a smartphone in the future, isn't it? You'll have an Android. And um, the lounge they're sitting in is blatantly a little nod to the waiting room towards the beginning of 2001. Oh. Just, before that guy, just before that guy makes a phone call, a video call, I should say, to his, to his daughter, um that was a nice little reference and um yeah the other thing that's funny is um blade runner obviously was about these nexus 7 um replicants mm -hmm. which see that you'd assume they've been they've been six um other models before that one so he, he's obviously interested in artificial life and how the variations from one evolution of it to another. And Walter is supposed to be an evolution of David. Yeah. So apparently, apparently, whereas David was evil because he was able to experience anger, even though it's really deeply buried down below, Walter is supposed to have these protocols which make him just completely following those isomorphian um laws of um protecting humanity so um there's a lot of thought that's, that seems to have gone into this movie um so i mean you tell me so you're less of a fan of prometheus obviously than i am it's getting your attention isn't it well yeah now now the build-up's getting my attention um and i mean don't get me wrong um i love alien the original movie and i and I, I like aliens i think aliens and i'm gonna say something controversial here this, the sequel the james cameron directed one is a little bit overrated um but you can't knock the first one the first movie is brilliant uh i won't talk about the the, the following sequels they're not worth mentioning so i have mixed feelings about it as a franchise um i did find prometheus compelling and i enjoyed watching it but um i came away from it a little bit disappointed um and okay cool it, it it sort of set things up for a sequel because i think from ve very early on uh ridley scott mentioned that you know there, there would be a follow-up to it so it, it, didn't, it didn't come as a surprise um but what's interesting is that they are really treating the release of this movie as a celebration of the franchise as a whole so for example are you aware that there is um an alien day scheduled for um when is it the um uh, 26th of april soon actually wow is that is that right after force friday is it well, um well alien day is actually um um all all the major uh, cinemas are, are, are taking part in this and you can buy yourself on that day um an alien we can buy it now actually an alien super ticket they call it 
so on the 26th of April, you get um, a screening, a double bill of Prometheus and Alien, the director's cut, right? And right. you get, um, um, I, th- I think, like Ridley Scott intro, and you get um, various uh, bits and pieces from the cast of um, uh, Alien Covenant. And you get 14 minutes of footage from Alien Covenant. 14 wow, minutes, okay. which is quite a lot, right? And not yeah. only that, so you, your ticket gets you that. And that your ticket on the 26th of April. And your ticket also gets you um, entry into a preview screening of Alien Covenant on the 11th of May. Because the actual release date is the 18th of May. So you see it a week early. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's 25 quid. Well, that's central London prices, 25 quid. I mean, I imagine it would vary local cinemas, but m- most of the big cinemas, View, Odin, are, are, are in on it. So uh, there you go. I don't know if I would take that up, but I like what they're doing. They're obviously putting, they're thinking outside the box, as uh, corporate suits say, mm. thinking outside the box in terms of the, uh, the PR for this. So they're enthusiastic. They want to make sure it makes a splash and, and does turn into a franchise oh, okay glad to glad to hear that yeah it's not bad is it 25 quid central london price gets you what three movies i'm not sure about showing 14 minutes of you know the new one i mean that's i think it's a little bit too much there but yeah i don't see what the point of that is maybe like a special specially cut trailer might have been nice but um yeah it's uh excessive a little bit, but um, you know, we've got to assume they know what they're doing there, I suppose. And I mean, you know, sometimes you get that feeling when you see a trailer that you've already seen a lot of the movie. Um, sometimes it it does um, turn out to be the case. Other times, not at all, in which case it's clever marketing. But I am already just getting a feeling that a lot of the images I've seen in the trailers and TV spots reveal quite a lot about the film. I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong. Um, but, I mean, there's some speculation that uh, the, the Elizabeth Shaw character, you see her in one of the TV spots as kind of like a replay, a hologram being replayed. You know, those holograms on the engineer's ship yep. in Prometheus, yep. kind of like a hologram like that. And they're speculating that the shape of her, because you can't see her very well, the shape of her looks a bit weird. So maybe she's been exposed to the black goo by David and she's and turned into a xenomorph or an alien queen. There's all this kind of speculation. And I just thought, uh, I hope that's fanboys reading too much into it because I don't see how they could extrapolate that from a, a few seconds in a TV spot. Is it literally but, just a few seconds? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm hoping that they are overthinking that one. I hope they haven't revealed too many plot twists because I, I think I've got a feeling I, I know what's going to happen in terms of the plot in this film, how it's going to unfold. Um, I just hope it's got some surprises in it, which which leaves me leaving the cinema feeling really good that I've been surprised. And actually, just before we wrap up on Alien, um, I don't think you're entirely wrong about Aliens being slightly overrated because I recently watched the first two movies again, this time <laughs> with my nephew and niece. Oh, okay. As I've said before, I often use them as a barometer on certain, sometimes on films that were dear to me in my childhood. I want to see their reaction. And they they kind of agreed with me that maybe the first one's better, although they did enjoy the, the second one a lot, particularly because it's got Newt 
in it, and that makes it easy for a younger person to connect oh, with yeah, that film. Yeah, yeah. So certainly, in decades to come, I think you'll be proved completely right. I think the Ridley Scott movie will be looked at as a a, a real piece of art. I think James Cameron's film will be looked like as an excellent sort of mainstream uh, movie making, which extended the aesthetic in quite a nice way as well, but it certainly wasn't as clever or as detailed as what Giga and Ridley Scott did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks that then, because, you know, I thought it was, I felt a little bit strange because it's, 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 it's largely considered as good as the first one. Some people even say it's better, but I, I just think, the first movie still stands up today. It's a brilliant, brilliant piece of science fiction, brilliant piece of horror. It just works on so many levels. But um, let's move away from Alien um, and go on to Star Wars. So, um, so uh, let, let's do that. And, and just just before we do, may I say, rest in peace, uh, Bill Paxton, as well. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned. Obviously, it's a bit of a shock. He passed away recently. He had a, obviously a hugely memorable role in, in Alien. So rest in peace, uh, Mr. Paxton. That's true. Rest in peace, Mr. Paxton. Okay. Um, so Star Wars. Okay, so Star Wars Celebration, which is the event that Lucasfilm holds for the fans. It's like a, 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 a mass convention, uh, but it involves um, the cast and the crew and all the players involved. Um, um, and that took place uh, the weekend of the 13th to 16th of April. And I think this is the fourth, this has been going on for a while, Celebration, but this one was held in Orlando. This is the fourth one that has been held under Disney since Disney have taken control of the Star Wars franchise. Um, and this one in particular was celebrating 40 years of Star Wars. So it opened up with, um, you know, uh, Kathleen Kennedy doing her thing now, trying to embrace the fans you know i find it's the way she carries on sometimes slightly disingenuous do you know what i mean do you get that feeling with her sometimes she's just a suit after all isn't she but without shadow of doubt she's just a slick corporate suit without a doubt i mean she tries but it, it doesn't work it doesn't work um but <laughs> we so we had a number of panels um during the celebration event the first one was uh the 40 years celebrating 40 years of Star Wars panel, and it was hosted by um, Warwick Davis. And surprisingly enough, we had um, all of the main original trilogy characters, obviously not Carrie Fisher, who's passed, um, but we had Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, uh, we had Billy Dee Williams, um, and George Lucas himself was there. And George Lucas sat through the entire... Well, he was there through the entire thing. So they brought out... Um, you know, um, various mem members of the cast and they sort of said their bit and then went away and went backstage and then George, George Lucas was sat there for out and he was just, he was a good sport, I think, considering. Yeah, I, I, um, I almost had this image in my head for the last year, I guess, that he had gone into semi-retirement, he'd left it all behind him, he was maybe a little bit bitter about the whole thing with they didn't want to know about his ideas for the new trilogy they wanted to go retro and i thought I, I used to think i hope he's not sitting somewhere just being a little bit bitter um and i think that celebration weekend proved completely the opposite didn't it he's not bitter at all he's looks like he's just embraced what's happening and even though he ain't stupid he knows the truth as he said his words the white slavers are doing what they do with his baby. Um, but yeah, he was there. He was enjoying it. He was happy. And I actually, 
was really really heartened and and happy to hear it that that anecdote that he he told us about how when he was filming Attack of the Clones in Spain at that palace when they were doing those Naboo scenes that there was um, dozens and dozens of uh, like 11, 12 year old kids um, outside the gate because uh, obviously it's a, usually probably a, a, a public place of interest, isn't it? The, the, the palace where they were filming, but obviously while they were filming it, it was shut. Mm-hmm. Bit like in palace might be or whatever, but all these kids were lined up outside the gate, reaching out for him, and they wanted to touch George Lucas and shake his hand. And he he actually looked quite emotional, didn't he, when he said that that is what it's all about. And yeah. that that made me really happy because I always I've maintained over the last ten years, whenever people have come out with a lazy even like if I'm just talking to somebody in the office and they turn around and say, Oh, the Star Wars prequels, they were rubbish. You know, what about proper Star Wars? I can't stand people who come out with stupid comments like that. Yeah, yeah. And he um he said something which I've been saying for the last ten years to those types of people. He said, uh, and I've never heard him say this before, that I'm not, I wasn't allowed to say this in 77. I'm actually not really allowed to say it now. But Star Wars is for 12 year olds. You know, um, and they just, yeah. I, I think what he did say publicly in the past was the movies I make for kids, they just happen to be loved by adults as well. And that's what really matters to him. And at one point, of course, as you would have seen, he said, when I get kicked around like a football by critics or even some fans, it hurts, but it doesn't really matter because I make make my movies for kids, and and I was really glad to hear that. Yeah, and there was an entire generation of kids who grew up watching the prequels, much like how we grew up watching the originals, and they love the prequels. They hold them dear. You know, my son is one of them, and um, it it's this is the thing. I I mean, I'm you're a massive Star Wars fan. I'm a huge Star Wars fan as well, and but I do have to criticize a large segment of the fan base, which is basically a bunch of arrested man children who just can't accept that it, it, it doesn't belong to just them. So what they want to see, and actually they're quite happy about what Disney are doing. They just want to see the original trilogy regurgitated time and time again. They want to see X-Wings. They want to see TIE Fighters. They want, they, they love Rogue One because they saw Darth Vader again. And they never really gave the prequels a chance they weren't really accepting of um new characters and um they they couldn't understand they they wanted something they wanted a a a mature uh subject matter a mature mature, uh, series of movies to cater to them as adults who once liked star wars as children and and that's completely wrong that's completely unfair so um it (laughs) They, they, they forget who Star Wars is really for. And, and you're right, Star, and I'm glad Lucas said it, Star Wars, they're, they're fancy movies for 12-year-olds. They make us feel like kids at heart, absolutely. And we can all enjoy them, but that's who they are primarily for. So, well, I, um, yeah. And, uh, I, I do wonder if any of those uh, disgruntled 30 and 40-somethings, whether they're now just starting to realize his wisdom when they see so much of X-Wings and TIE Fighters and the old aesthetic, which they've seen now in two feature films, plus they in that trailer for episode eight, everything just looks the same. And it's like, there's a part of my brain certainly thinking, this is boring to look at. Yeah. 
You think they're finding that out, or do you think they're lapping it up? No, I don't. I don't think they, they, they're finding that. I think they're lapping it up still. So they've got this um, this blooming Han Solo spin-off movie to look forward to, and we know that's just going to have the same old thing. It's going to, you know, the Millennium Falcon will feature heavily and be the same. It'll be the same things that we've seen before. Um, so, no, I think they're lapping it up. Um, I think. Because they're lapping it up and because Episode 7 did really well and Rogue One did really well, Disney aren't going to take any risks. They want some return on their 4.5 billion investment. Um, was it one? Yeah. So they're not going to take any risks, which is a shame. It really is a shame because I would have liked to seen something new, something fresh from the sequel trilogy. Um, and, and it's a shame. However, um, George Lucas... For, for all of the insults that he has to deal with from a particular segment of the fan base, he got a really good reception at a celebration. Uh, they were whooping and cheering, weren't they, for him? Well, it was almost like a an English soccer crowd. I shouldn't call it soccer, of course. I'm just assuming Americans might be listening to the podcast. It was almost like an English football crowd. Mm. They were trying to curse, curse. I was like, wow, okay, that's... Um, that's really good. I I didn't know whether fans were split down the middle in terms of the criticism of him. Maybe it's just a case of the, the, the minori- minority um, are maybe quite vocal um, and maybe the vast majority are just sort of silently sitting there enjoying the films a bit like we do yeah. um, without making too much noise. Having said that, we're making a bit of noise with this podcast, which is a good thing. Um, do you know what else? I, I should just mention this. Um we said, wasn't it nice that Lucas turned up and all that, and he he, he wasn't bitter. It is also worth mentioning that uh, he is the the second <laughs> the um, the second biggest um, non statutory uh, shareholder in Disney uh, after only after the uh, second only to the estate of Steve Jobs. So uh, he's not a stupid man, is he? Oh, his financial uh, interests. Okay, I don't, but he doesn't need the money. I don't think he cares. I don't think Lucas. He doesn't strike well. Maybe it's slightly naive of me to say so, but it doesn't strike me as the sort of person who cares too much about money. No, I. it, it matters. I think it matters almost to him because he doesn't like people treading on him. Hmm. He, he's got a real American reflex of, if you try and tread on me, I'm going to tread back on you. Like, don't try and screw me. Give me what I'm entitled to. I think a big part of it's that. I think a lot of people who, who are quite rich have that kind of reflex in them and it's a little bit like you know dan Aykroyd doing a cameo in that dreadful ghostbusters film so did sigourney weaver so did bill murray they did it because of profit participation let's be honest and you know lucas has looked at it and he's thought well you know these things making a billion dollars each it's in my interests in the interests of my great great grandchildren um so fine you know whatever i'll do a bit of tub thumping and, and at the same time he's not bitter and he's happy to talk about uh, everything he's contributed to Star Wars, obviously, which is 99% of it anyway. Um, but it, it was just worth mentioning that, you know, it's just, you know, no one does anything for free, do they? No, no, of course not. Um, so there, there was a couple of surprises with that uh, 40 years um, panel. Um, Hayden Christensen was there, which is great. Anakin Skywalker. Um, and I was very pleased to at least see and hear from what I was, what I was live streaming this thing. Um, that he was treated respectfully because he's, he's, he's had a lot of flack from this very sort of very vocal minority, I would say, of, um, of the fan base. 
yeah, again, people just don't seem to get it. Uh, when they say, why is Anakin a whiny teenager? Shouldn't he be like striding around and not doing or saying anything stupid because he becomes Darth Vader? Well, that's entirely not the point. You know, the fact that he's so damaged and he's had, he's got so much insecurity and so many problems from his past. That is what chiseled him into the horror that is Darth Vader. So it, it made perfect sense for him to be what he was in those prequels. I mean, I, I remember when episode one came out and people, I remember people saying, oh, why didn't they get the kid out of the sixth sense to play Anakin Skywalker? He's got a real dark side to him. I was like, that's not the point. He's just, <laughs> just as Luke, Mark Hamill was cast as Luke because he looked like the typical American blonde boy next door who you, who you might see in a Disney film. That was why they cast Mark Hamill. That's why they cast Hayden Christensen and Jake Lloyd. They look like, you know, the, your typical American boy next door, you know, and the story arc is a guy who's innocent, pure, happy, doesn't know what greed is, and ironically, he gets to a point where all he wants is everything, and he covets everything. That's what proper storytelling is. Not having someone who starts off dark, becomes darker, and then becomes dark later. Exactly, and so, just yeah. slaughters people throughout the entire trilogy of movies, which is what I think they wanted. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you speak of um, you know people not doing things for free. There was another surprise. Harrison Ford. He didn't have to show up. I think he was on his way somewhere else and he landed his plane on the wrong uh, runway, wasn't it? <laughs> but no, he showed up and I think it's funny because I think his... I don't know if it's... It's difficult to tell whether um, his attitude towards Star Wars is changing with old age and he's starting to become a bit more sort of appreciative of... Well, yeah, you know, playing Han Solo was, was a big deal. Um, before he's been more critical about um, not so much Star Wars itself, but certainly the fan base and the enthusiasm. But he's always been respectful and always been grateful to George Lucas about giving him that break and that, certain other breaks that he's given him, you know, Indiana Jones and we'll go back to American Graffiti. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was interesting to see him there. He didn't have to be there, really. Yeah, you're right. Um, he did an awful lot of promotion for Force Awakens as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But, you know, I'm assuming that was just all contraction. But, yeah. Um, no, but even in the past, um, he's turned down certain contractual obligations. I think it's a funny thing with Harrison Ford, right? I've um, I've read a couple of books on the guy. And he, um, he was a struggling actor, wasn't he? Right into his 30s. Mm. And when he finally made it... I think he was very appreciative of it, but he was still kind of a normal guy. And I kind of respect him for that. If you remember, you remember interviews from the 80s and stuff. And I used to see him on Wogan in the 80s. I used to look at him and think, why is this guy so miserable? And he he was always quite defensive and he would always um, be sarcastic and droll. And he, he wasn't... Um, you know, he wasn't a barrel of laughs, uh, but I definitely think over the last 10, 15 years, he's changed. I think he's become more reflective, more easygoing, and uh, he's probably happier. You know, we don't know how unhappy he was. I mean, he was, remember, he was married um, 
and then when Star Wars blew up, that marriage failed. Then he married the screenwriter, didn't he, of E.T.? Yes, yeah. And um, and you knew that was true love because she she was no looker, was she? Oh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> She's no longer with us, is she, Bronson? Oh, dear. I feel like an absolute ugh, proverbial idiot now. Um, if that's true... Um, that's terrible, obviously. May she rest in peace. And obviously, some of the stuff she wrote, she was actually a really, really talented screenwriter. And um, no, I actually, I'm going to try and backtrack here a little bit. <laughs> Their marriage was quite successful for a number of years, wasn't it? Because um, and, and they were always looked upon as like a real credible couple. Um, they weren't just the celebrity stardust couple. They were they looked like a genuine American couple. You know, 2.4 children as well. Obviously, the kids came along. But then that marriage failed, didn't it? And obviously, he's with Calista Flockhart now. And you don't know sometimes behind the scenes how much strife these people go through. And, and he's probably just happier now than he's probably ever been. Yeah, and and yeah. I've, got, I've got a feeling that's why he's softened up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, his ex-wife. Oh, yeah. She died in 2015. I thought, yeah, I thought it was recently. Yeah, but yeah, oh, yeah. He rubbing. does seem happy. Yeah, he does. <laughs> you make me feel bad now. Stop rubbing it in. All right, we won't talk about it anymore. But yeah, I mean, he, he he seems a little bit more mellow. But that's good. It was good to see him there. Um, obviously, Carrie Fisher couldn't be there. Carrie Fisher no longer with us. But they gave quite a nice tribute to her. Um, I think George, George Lucas led that and, and, and it seemed very, very sincere. Um, I remember, you know, pictures from the funeral and he looked very forlorn and, you know, um, so it's sad that she's not there. Um, funny enough though, um, people, well, well, when she died and it's bad to say it, but one of the first thoughts was how are they going to complete this trilogy without her? this new trilogy of movies. And um, so she was supposed to be in episode nine, right? And um, I believe um, Disney, so I've mentioned this last last time we spoke, that Disney said that, or Lucasfilm said that um, they won't be using CG to sort of um, insert her into the last one. Um, right. So, but then since then, there was um, her brother, is her brother's name Todd? Is it Todd? Todd Fisher? Yeah, right? I think so. yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, said that uh, um, basically Disney had approached the family and asked if they were happy if they used existing footage of her that presumably she shot for nine, uh, eight, sorry, episode eight, or that didn't make the final cut for episode eight or was not looking like making the final cut and use it in nine. So she would appear in nine. And then she went public with saying that, her brother, um and so that that hit that 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 news hit the press and then i believe at celebration uh kathleen kennedy cleared it up and said actually she thinks he was mistaken they don't plan to um feature her in episode nine at all which makes me wonder how they're going to wrap up leia's story well that could only mean one thing that they're going to kill her off um which uh, which would be terrible, really. I would have hoped she didn't need to die. Um, I don't know. If they're going to change episode eight and make it more dramatic, um, or wait, whether it was too late in the day for them to do that after Carrie Fisher passed away, I don't know. Yeah, it would be fascinating to see how it is going to unfold. Um, but I've got a feeling they're not going to necessarily 
do the right things because obviously we discussed Force Awakens previously both of us have our reservations about that film I also wasn't impressed by the trailer we saw the other day for episode 8 I know it was just a teaser I know it could just have been there to have a function of reacquainting a wider audience with the characters from The Force Awakens just so that a wider audience don't don't get confused with Rogue One perhaps that was the function of that teaser but the teaser did nothing for me. Um, it was kind of drab and dull to look at. Um, the alarm bells went off in my head actually after I saw it. I think it's the first time in my life I've seen a Star Wars trailer and not had real anticipation or intrigue. Um, I got I, and there was some. Do you know what? There's something else that's really disturbed me. Didn't Mark Hamill in a recent interview say that? everything Luke Skywalker does in episode eight he fundamentally disagrees with it, what they've done to his character. Yeah. No. I was going to mention that actually, because actually, first of all, I was going to mention, so Mark Hamill was actually unusually candid, um, concerning his, his thoughts on the, this new trilogy and where things are going. So on the subject, back on the backtracking a little bit on the subject of Leia and what they're going to do with Leia's character and, and, and think about it now. So Han Solo, you know, was, was killed so we're never going to see the original trio together, right? We're never going to see that. And even Mark Hamill admitted that that was a missed opportunity. I don't know if you've heard what he said. He said this at Celebration. Um, he, no, said, he said, uh, what did he say? Something like he said. So when he, when he was reading it, the script, episode seven, um, he thought that uh, Leia's trying to mentally contact me. And if she's not successful, she'll still rush to his, talking about Han Solo, his aid. At the end, she'll get close to him and then get into some dire situation. And that's when I will show up for a big yay, save her life. And then we rush to Han and we're in the same position that Ray and Finn and Chewie are. Too late to save him, but witness. So he thought that, yeah, he will be there at the end. Um, he'll see Han get killed and, you know, but we'll at least see them in the same scene. Didn't happen. Yeah. Didn't happen. Um, and so, and, and he said, you're right. He did say to... Um, Ryan Johnson, the director of episode eight, the writer director of episode eight, um, that he he felt that he fundamentally disagreed with everything they have done to Luke's character, whatever that means, and that set off alarm bells. Um, yeah. Because and then he also he continued and he said, but I felt the same way about episode seven, but I was proved wrong. So he wasn't happy initially with Luke just appearing at the end, not saying a word. But he felt like he was being, he was proved wrong. I, I'm not convinced he was proved wrong, but um, it, yeah, it's interesting. I remember he, he did a lot of interviews, and I think he might have done one of those Oxford University uh, honorary degree lectures. And he made a lot of jokes in, it was in one of those stage kind of things where he's sort of, uh, he's got a microphone and he's talking a lot. And he said something like, um, they asked me to prepare for my role, lose a bit of weight for episode seven. This is grow the beard, all this. If I knew I was only going to be in that thing for 30 seconds, I would have just uh, told them to hide the weight. You know, um, he, he made jokes like this, but I think he probably was thrown off kilter when he realized that he was only in it for 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, you got to remember that um, before George Lucas um, basically retired, so this is prior to him selling Lucasfilm 
to Disney. So he re- before Lucas retired and, and let Kathleen Kennedy take over at Lucasfilm, he actually met up with um, the original three. So Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and said, hey, I'm thinking about... He actually said, um, along the lines of, he's thinking about retiring. Um, but he wanted Lucasfilm to produce sequels, Star Wars, 789. Um, and he had a treatment ready and he, and he gave them an idea of where the characters would be going and whether they would be on board and support him. And they all said, yeah, sure, we'll be on board, which is why I think you got Harrison Ford agreeing to do seven. All right. I think it was that promise that you probably made to George because he seems to be very lo- loyal to George Lucas. Um, and I'm pretty certain that Mark Hamill had an idea of where his character, an impression of where his character could be going and what Disney have in mind, because we know that Disney took Lucas's treatment and literally tossed it aside. They wanted to do their own thing um, is, is completely different to what, what he was expecting. I'm sure of it. I see what you're getting at now. I see what you're getting at. Um, yeah, you can certainly infer that on you from if you were to draw up the timeline and the facts the way you just have there. That makes complete sense that the I well we we know already don't we that in Lucas's original story I think we know this from the concept art from the the book the uh, the art of Star Wars the Force Awakens um, the original idea was instead of having uh, Jakku which is basically a standard for Tatooine they were actually going to cover new territory and they were going to have some kind of water world yep uh, nope not the Kevin Costner one but some kind of water world I mean. And, uh, well, bloody hope not the Kevin Costner one, anyway. Um, and the idea was that Ray was going to be a youngster who escapes from a village that's just been terrorised by the remnants of the Empire. And she runs away, she runs into Luke, who's basically going to be the Obi-Wan of that film, and he was going to train her up, and she was going to be the prodigal child, not a prodigal son, obviously, but she was then going to come back in the denouement of the film to get her revenge if you like or payback whatever you want to call it and that actually chimes perfectly with something mark hamill said i think on the british tv show tvam back in the mid 80s oh yes yes i remember this interview well i've seen video of it i don't remember it living a baby but yeah, yeah i've seen video of this one yeah yeah I, I i don't remember it from five years old i remember it from youtube um and he says back as uh, as as the Obi Wan character when they make uh, Episode Seven, and I asked George about it, and George said, "Oh, well, I'll probably be around about 2011 or something." And uh, and he was actually remarkably prescient, wasn't he? It was yeah, pretty yeah. much bang on with his dates, and uh, the guys really got it got it figured out. So yeah, th- that was probably going to be his involvement. Um, I th- I've got to be honest, I think that reservation that J.J. Abrams had that um, having Luke Skywalker on screen just undercuts everyone else on screen. I think that's BS, because if you cast a good enough actress as the Ray character or or as she was called Jaira or whatever her original name was supposed to be. I can't remember now. Kira, I think. Is it Kira? Kyra. 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 Yeah, something. Right. So if you cast a good enough character and the character is written well enough and you introduce her in the right way with the opening scenes, um, then that, that's not an issue. The the voltage, the, the star power, uh, if you like, that's probably not the right terminology, but you know what I'm getting at. The X factor that um, is on screen whenever Luke Skywalker appears, you can just you can just exploit that any way you want. You know, and, and the film probably then becomes a film you have to watch many, many times to fully digest it and to really take it all in. 
So I think it's a massive missed opportunity. And, and you can see they've, they've kept some of his structural ideas drama-wise as well in, in Force Awakens, like the opening slaughter of that village by the First Order and Kylo Ren. That's probably something that survived roughly yeah. from Lucas's script. Um, the way the Stormtrooper uh, turns, I, I think we all know that that's something Lucas has been talking about since the 80s, of having an, an idea for a Star Wars uh, story of some kind, maybe a spin-off or maybe one of the future films where they would have a stormtrooper who's actually got a conscience and he turns um, and starts fighting for the rebellion. That's certainly a Lucas story. They've retained all those, but unfortunately they've taken all of that and they've hung that coat, if you like, on a on something which just resembles the aesthetic of the original trilogy. It was just completely the wrong thing to do. And by, by the way, they've removed removed luke skywalker from the picture so again i don't want to cover old ground we've talked about the force awakens but even decisions like having han solo being a smuggler again having him having regressed rather than moved forward i mean i fully thought we'd find him as a reluctant senator or delegate or something um you know looking really uncomfortable wearing a robe or something and maybe we could have a scene where he takes it off chucks it to one side and you know, puts his feet up on a table and says, I'm getting tired of all this being a delegate kind of thing. That would have been great to see Han Solo doing that instead of seeing him talking with a pimply Scottish teenager. Yeah, exactly. Everything regressed in, in um, The Force Awakens. Everything. The progress that the Rebellion made, um, the, the Empire is still strong. We'll call it First Order if you want. There may be a New Republic, but they seem pretty dominant, this First Order, and yeah, it, it, it just, um, it, yeah, it, it seemed a mess. But I don't want to talk too much about episode seven. Um, just got backtracking a little bit. So we, we talk about Mark Hamill um, sort of, you know, there's a bit of a red flag because he wasn't pleased with the, with the direction Luke Luke was going. Um, did do you realize that Daisy Ridley said something similar about her character, right? No, no, do yeah. tell. Yeah, she, um, so I'm reading from an article here. So she instantly had stern, warn, stern words, sorry, for Ryan Johnson when she found out about Ray's trajectory. This time around, she said she went to Ryan's office and was like, we need to have a talk about what's happening here. She didn't say any more than that. But what do you think that means? What's the speculation? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she didn't go into any details. She refused to go into detail, but she was, um, I think this was the same interview. I think it was, um, this might have been some American news show or something that was done around the time of celebration. And those two were together giving an interview and that probably followed on from what Mark Hamill was saying. I've only seen isolated clips, but, um, yeah, generally it seems like she's not, she wasn't happy, but wasn't, I should say. Well, this is incredible. A girl who's come out of nowhere who's uh, only moderately talented and she feels like she's uh, got the wantons to turn around and tell this uh, Hollywood writer-director what you're doing here with this character. Give her a bit of credit for that. Um, if, it's, if, if that now is making it evident that they're absolutely botching episode eight beyond our wildest nightmares, if that is how it transpires, wow, I might never recover from that I, mean, I might just end up watching it at the local four pound a ticket cinema rather than going and watching it with the big, big fanfare that, that i usually do um yeah it's a little bit a little bit frightening when you 
I suppose when the alarm bells go off once, that's one thing. But when when they're going off three or four times with various different things, um, that, that's different. That starts to point in the direction that this is going somewhere you don't like. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else was there? Oh, so on so on the forty years panel, we had um, Billy D. Williams was there, who also confirmed that there is no Lando in Episode Eight, which is strange. But um, I'm a little bit annoyed about that. No Lando Carizian, but for some reason they've excluded this character completely. Excluded him even from episode nine? Or you think they might be saving it as an encore? Well, that's true. He might very well be in nine, but that's true. He only said he wasn't in eight. He, he was actually really laid back and suave and chilled. Still cool. Yeah, he's too cool for school. Um, I'm actually surprised he hasn't been used in more movies over the years. Billy D. Williams, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's really good in everything he's been. I mean, maybe if they had put Harvey Dent in Batman Returns, uh, maybe his career might have got a second wind. Um, actually, I didn't talk about Hayden Christensen. Um, obviously, you, you talked about it a few minutes ago. I just want to briefly say, yeah, I, I was really happy to see him back. And he looked really shy and a little bit apprehensive, like, Probably he wasn't sure how he was going to be received. But, mm. yeah, it was lovely to see him get a good reaction. I was really glad to see him say that Star Wars plays a part in his life virtually every day. Um, now, considering he doesn't do much promotional work or whatever, I, I guess that means his interaction with the wider fan community, which is nice. And, yeah, look, if they've got any brains, I'll find a way to shoehorn his Force Ghost into Episode 8 or, or 9, you would have thought. Um, but, well, hey. Um... <laughs> Disney will not take any risks. It won't happen. But it was nice of him to be included um, and invited to this panel. He's an important part of Star Wars. He plays Anakin Skywalker, for goodness sake. Um, so that was nice. It was actually was nice that they were acknowledging the prequels for once because um, you had um, Ian McDermott, who plays uh, Palpatine, um, there, and he was, you know, giving lots of, uh, he was telling lots of uh, anecdotes about when they were shooting, you know, Revenge of the Sith and things like that. And normally they steer away from that sort of thing, Disney, when they hold these events, and they're just always talking about the original trilogy. So it was nice to have that acknowledgement of the prequels. Um, yep. and it actually felt like a proper celebration of Star Wars as a saga for once. Agreed, 100%. Yeah. And it was, Actually, I should talk about Billy D. Williams. I should say about Ian McDermott again. I just don't get it. Why is this guy? Why is his not his filmography not much longer than than what it is? Oh, I mean, he's mainly he's, a stage actor. That's why he prefers the theatre. I, I know that, but he, if you've got any sense, you you're a Hollywood studio. You 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 get him into movies. You know, you make him offers he can't refuse. Get him away from the Garrick Theatre or whatever theatre it is, the Almeida Theatre. Sorry, I think yeah. it might be. Yeah. Uh, which is actually near my old university. It was a shame I never bumped into him. Um, but he's so talented. I mean, he pops up every now and again. Like, I remember he was in Sleepy Hollow. He's just beyond reproach. He's pitch perfect in every performance I've ever seen him given. And um, I think he played a butler once in a film, and he was really good in that. And I, I just, when I, when I see so many people who've been promoted into movies purely because of their profile you know trying to like trying to give rihanna a film career put him in put her in battleships or whatever that film was you know you see the way people almost get shoehorned into the industry and um and then you've got people like him out there who are so talented and they don't they barely get used at all and i just i just don't get it you know yeah 
Yeah, yeah. And it's a shame because we have, I mean, he, he was a brilliant antagonist and, and you know, he he had uh, much more room to maneuver and, 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 and to have fun in terms of in, in the prequels because obviously his character did a lot more. He was the main antagonist of the prequels. And um, we just won't, we just don't have anyone like that with, um, in, in, in these new films. We have that Snoke abomination is a joke. And we have Kylo Ren, Adam Driver, who wasn't there. Funnily enough, he wasn't there, but he did. He was interviewed. I don't know if you caught that. Um, he must have been somewhere else, but he was interviewed around the time of celebration. And he said something along the lines of um, uh, episode eight. So they asked him, what, what, you know, what, what do we expect from episode eight? And he says, it's just like Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, yeah. And that's actually the feeling that I got when I saw the trailer. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how you felt with the trailer, but I, I it just seemed like all of that, you know, breathe, think, all that stuff. Yeah, this is what Yoda was saying to Luke and he was training him up. And, you know, what do you see? It, it just seems like a retread. I mean, you even had like um, a couple of shots from a scene set in an ice planet what was that off you know it just seems too much like empire strikes back i wouldn't be surprised if it's exactly the same luke um ray approaches luke he's reluctant to train her right hence that maybe right. that line the end that oh, the jedi must end or whatever because he feels it feels guilty about his nephew turning into the dark side he's reluctant to train her much as um much like Yoda was initially reluctant to train Luke, although he was playing playing you know, he was playing along. Um he wasn't he was testing his patience. Um we're gonna have that, but when he eventually does agree and he trains her, her friends are gonna get into trouble, much like Luke's friends got into trouble. Um probably Poe and Finn will get into a spot of bother and she'll have to go and rescue him and it, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if it really is just Empire Strikes Back Redux. Yeah, and that would make sense considering how similar Force Awakens was to A New Hope. Um, I mean, maybe even Disney approached these people saying, look, we're going to follow this blueprint where we're going to practically ape everything structure-wise from the original trilogy. So a director whose favorite film is A New Hope, let's get him to do A New Hope, J.J., Maybe they talked to Ryan Johnson through his agent and he said, oh, yeah, Empire Strikes Back is my favorite film ever. OK, let's get him doing that one. And then Colin Trevorrow or whatever his name is, maybe he's he's, he's a particular favorite, has a particular feeling for Return Jedi. Who, who knows? But um, if you are right, uh, I'll be disappointed. And... Um, oh, that, that ice planet you mentioned, by the way, I think those were the salt flats in, like, Chile or something, weren't they? Um, I can't. Remember. Is it Chile where they they've got those alkaline salt flats, and that's where the battery companies get most of their alkaline from when they make batteries? Um, I'm, I'm pretty certain that's what that location was. So, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, look, if they start the film off with a big battle, Hoth-like on that planet, and it does follow, and it's in maybe being intercut with. Uh, uh, race training uh, i mean look it, it might work but if if, if there if there isn't really a particularly original thought or concept in the film it's just gonna leave us feeling a bit cold like uh the force awakens and i'll tell you something else which really came through from that trailer um you know i remember when i was a kid and i when i first saw um 
Empire Strikes Back. It was it was probably about a year after I'd seen A New Hope for the first time, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, oh, you know, the, the characters like Leia's got a different hairstyle. You know, um, Luke looked a bit different, obviously because Mark Hamill had had that car accident, and it's just nice to nice to see that. And then in Return of the Jedi, we were being teased, weren't we? He has Luke turned to the dark side, so he's got this all black, black outfit yeah. and. Yeah. And, he, and he, that first time we that time we see him standing in front of Jabba, where the light, the, the spotlight is coming down on him, is kind of accentuating the scar tissue on his face from that accident he had, and he, it kind of makes him look old. I remember when I first saw Jedi, I thought, oh, they've aged a little bit here. And it's it was nice in the prequels as well to see, for example, just to take one example, Obi Wan Kenobi. You know, he was a bit of a callow youth in Phantom Menace, wasn't he? Yep. Calling Jar Jar a pathetic life form. Um, come the second movie, he had a mullet and a beard. Come the third movie, he was starting to slowly turn into an old man. He had a different haircut, and they'd obviously cut his beard to make his facial structure resemble Alec Guinness. It's nice to see that evolution. It, that's always been part of Star Wars. Yeah, we're not going to get that with this film, are they? There's no three-year gap or whatever in the timeline of these characters. It's going to pick up exactly where Force Awakens left off immediately. That's, yeah. They mean you already handed the lightsaber over. Yeah, so much of the intrigue's gone, you know, and, and, and you could even feel that in the trailer. I mean, they all just look like the way they looked in The Force Awakens, aside from the fact that Kylo Ren's scar has magically moved. don't know how they got away with that one. So it no longer runs up the bridge of his nose, right? It's kind of yeah. funny. Ryan Johnson said he used his, um, his, used his prerogative and he, he made a decision on that because he felt it looked goofy going along the nose. Well, that's more alarm bells right there. You can't be doing stuff like that. You can't be moving a whole scar into... I mean, it now resembles a scar Anakin had in um, Revenge of the Sith, because didn't he get it in the Clone Wars cartoon? Yes, um, he did, yeah. And it, it runs in a similar place to that now, and it's just like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. No matter how badly J.J. Abrams or botch the first movie you've got to try and lend it a bit of internal logic and credibility you know and i mean you he seemed to have the same hairstyle and roughly the same outfit um even though it was a close-up you can't tell exactly but i got the feeling he did and it's like oh dear yeah so look i mean i might might sound like i'm uh, i'm really uh, uh sort of uh, ragging on the movie but it's even uh you know, it's still eight months away. I hope everything is, is wrong. But as I said earlier, if the alarm bells go off once, okay, maybe you're misinterpreting something. But the alarm bells are going off at three, four, five times, aren't they? With everything we've discussed, and oh, I just hope they don't screw it up even worse than Episode Seven. Because as much as I try and say, oh, I'm distanced from it now. I'm more into the Alien franchise now. Star Wars will always be the holy franchise. I was going to say holy trilogy. It'll always be the holy franchise, and it will hurt acutely every time they screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, what I found, another thing I found interested about this trailer is that it's, to me, it seemed to confirm some of the rumors that were out there um, about episode eight. And this may be spoiler alert. I, I, I don't know. But for example, um, I've heard the rumor that at some point in eight, Kylo Ren will, wear a replica of vader's helmet and seeing kylo ren's helmet smashed up in that trailer in that one shot makes me think mm, maybe they are doing that well 
you know what? How much impact did that have on me seeing his, his helmet smashed up? Not much. Um, how bothered am I? Let's say it, his new helmet looks like Vader's. That will look cheap, in my opinion. If it doesn't, yeah, whatever. The design of the helmet, the original one in Force Awakens, even that looked like, uh, is it Darth Reaven? Yep. The Expanded Universe? Yeah, Reaven, yeah. Exactly that the was, same. Well, you know, I remember was it a documentary, or, or, or did I read this? I can't remember now, where J.J. Abrams was saying that for, for, for weeks, perhaps months, he couldn't settle on uh, Kylo Ren's um, helmet, how it should look. And then he finally came across that one that had the lines on it and thought, oh, you've hit upon something here. This, this is, this, this'll, this'll do. It just shows you he didn't know what he was doing, you know, and uh, making it up as he goes along, trying his best. Not a very original guy, you know, very good at copying stuff that's gone before. Whereas with, let's say, Lucas, you know, when he was talking to Ralph McQuarrie, he was saying to him, make it look like a, a Mempo mask from Japanese culture, but make it also look space age, make it look a little bit frightening, make it look like a frozen rictus, uh, you know, a frozen face. Uh, and, you know, he had specific ideas on what would work. He, he was probably inspired a little bit as well by the Doctor Doom mask from the from the the, the Marvel comics, I'd imagine, as well. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so there was... You could kind of see where Lucas's influences were, and you could see where he had taken it, and it worked. Now, with the process they they had with getting the Force Awakens made, first of all, they they were rushing it, weren't they? And they didn't have a big pre-production. It didn't have a natural gestation in terms of the creativity of it. Yeah. And it pretty much in the end, it was just a case of J.J. Abrams looking at dozens of masks that is his concept artists had drawn and he just pointed at one that's pretty much what happened and who knows maybe subconsciously he had seen the darth raven mask at some point in the past or in some expanded universe book or something while he was researching star wars and he probably just it just sat in his head that oh i like that one now if that's the kind of blind guidance that these people are believing in in designing and making and executing these films I can I can only see the the quality getting worse, not better. If that if it does transpire to be the case, then that's going to break all our hearts, isn't it? I think so. It does make me worried. It does make me worried. Um, let's try and think of some positive things. Actually, no. Another thing that uh, that probably confirmed one of the rumors is well, there is a if you look carefully, we heard this this stuff about oh Yoda appears in that trailer, in that teaser trailer for episode oh, eight. Oh. No, I haven't, no. Well, basically, you know that really long shot, that Karate Kid style shot, shot when it rays on the um, the mountain and whatever? Which is actually That's, the only shot in the trailer that I liked. Well, like Karate Kid. There you go. But, um, um, it, and she is swinging a lightsaber or whatever, and, and in front of her is like a, a rock. And if you pause it, it seems like this could be just a trick, trick, trick of the light or whatever there's a figure on top of that rock. Now, some say, oh, it looks like Yoda. And then one, obviously, once you've got that in your mind, you look at it and you think, actually, yeah, it could be Yoda. But we do know that Frank Oz was on set during production of episode eight. And we do know that Frank Oz, voice of Yoda, original puppeteer of Yoda, was um, confronted by, um, I think it was Variety. I can't remember. They asked, look, are you are you involved? Is Yoda going to be in this? And he was cagey. He said he could neither confirm nor deny. 
um, and he'd be happy to talk to them about it whenever they let him, um, which is interesting. So maybe, maybe we see a Force Ghost Yoda. That'd be nice. I think when you respond with something cagey like that, it's usually a, that means yes, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, if you had just turned around and said, no, look, I didn't do it. I'm not in it. They didn't call me. Maybe they will for the next episode. If it said that, then we know he's not in it. But he's not going to say, oh, I can't really talk about that unless there's something to hide. So, yeah, he's probably in it, probably as a force ghost. But I don't think they would reveal it in that trailer. And even then, I mean, the force ghost is supposed to be transparent. So I don't think that was Yoda. Um, I didn't look at it closely enough, actually, to think either way. But I don't think they'd put it in the teaser trailer. Um, but, yeah, I liked that shot. It, it um you know, it harkened back to those kung fu movies, goofy kung fu movies that we watched in the 80s when we were kids, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, we we need to have a little bit of that in there because he's training her, whatever. It was a nice uh, shot. It was a nice shot. And to give credit to the teaser trailer, um, uh, the use, the blend of the different themes musical themes that was really nice you know john williams you know you, uh, you, you know you had the classic themes blended with what we know now as ray's theme and and kylo ren's and it was it was nice to hear that i still think that kylo ren's theme sounds like something out of harry potter it's not a terrible piece of music um and now whenever you see it you think of kylo ren and you think of that shuttle of his which obviously resembles vader's shuttle and palpatine's shuttle and, and shuttle tidarium as well i suppose from yeah. the same design um but it sounds like something that's queuing in a, a an evil wizard in harry potter to me <laughs> sorry john, sorry john williams i have to say that i have to be honest oh well that was our second positive point but um you know what All right we're hyper analyzing deconstructing this trailer and we're highly critical because we're big fans of star wars but the press the mainstream press weren't enthusiastic about that teaser at all um i quote some headlines snooze wars underwhelming trailer for the last jedi premieres offering fans little hint of what to expect and they go on and this is something like um offered nothing new we've seen it all before blah 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 and that i was actually quite surprised that that was the response from the mainstream well, media. I would, I, actually, I, I, I didn't pay too much attention to what the mainstream media said, but um, I can see, yeah, that you would be a little bit surprised by that because they were so effusive in their praise for The Force Awakens, weren't they? Um, I mean, you had idiots like Mark Kermode. I remember when Revenge of the Sith came out and he was saying things like, oh, I'm just glad it's finished. Oh, we've seen that he's, Anakin's become Darth Vader. So what? And he was talking like that about it. And then when he was reviewing The Force Awakens, obviously years later, um, I heard him saying something like, oh, I get it now. I get it. I can see why Star Wars is so great. The way J.J. Abrams shot those uh, desert vistas. And he's, oh, I was like, oh, my God, is this guy serious? He ain't got a clue. Well, if you have any business in the film business or with the film business, you don't want to upset Disney. It's as simple as that. Is that a fact? Well, well, is what a fact? I, I, that's what I'm saying. You, you would have to you... be scared of Disney, otherwise they'll send men in suits around. Well, well, look, look, look at the franchises that Disney control now. You know, if I was um, a reviewer and I, I want to to hear 
from Robert Downey Jr. about the next Iron Man movie or whatever, and I've said something about the you know the Force Awakens that isn't too complimentary, I'm unlikely to be given that opportunity. Disney controls so much now, so many big budget and um, some so many big um, blockbuster franchises that you know if you get on their bad side, if you upset them, um, you know the next big summer movie, you're not going to be able to speak to anyone about that. Yeah, yeah, I see your point. Um, yeah, I think Beauty and the Beast has just gone and made a billion as well, isn't it? They're just absolutely coining it in. Oh, yeah. Um, incredible when they've got a lead actress in there who can't actually act, Emma Watson. <laughs> we, we won't go into that. No, uh, save that for another one. Um, yeah, she, yeah. She's got a powerful publicist, by the way. Her photo's in the Evening Standard every day. Yeah. So someone's getting paid off. But, um... No, that, that's funny what you say. The mainstream critics, actually, again, just going to the Evening Standard, because I, I usually pick that rag up on my way home from work because it's free. But uh, it was actually, just by the by, one of the critics, a lady, I can't remember her name, she was talking about uh, Star Wars, probably because there was a DVD release or something of Rogue One, or maybe it was about to premiere on the sky. And she said something like, uh, oh, Rogue One was surprisingly good. Ironic how the Star Wars franchise has been reinvigorated after Lucas has actually stepped away from the property uh, following those terrible prequels. Oh, gosh. This, this is how the mainstream media lazily sort of analyse these things. Uh, they, they, they seem to believe, based on the evidence of uh, Force Awakens and Rogue One, that Star Wars has been re-energised. <laughs> okay, you know, the irony. They, the irony, yeah. Um, and and I think to an extent Disney actually encouraged that with uh, the 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 um, all, all the all the publicity for the Force Awakens. I think they actually encouraged that. Yeah, I think they probably did. Yeah, I think any any angle that they could play up that would help them uh, make that film a hit. You know I'm what, sure they did. Yeah, yeah. You know what annoyed me, right? Um, what annoyed me um, was some comments made by Ryan Johnson. I mean, what I'd like to see, I told you this when I met up with you um, offline. Um, I'd love to see a panel with, you know, these new these new directors involved and George Lucas talking about the direction of the franchise. I'd love I'd love to see that panel. It will never happen, though. But Ryan Johnson, um, when he was he was being being interviewed on the on the last Jedi panel, um, talked about his hopes for the movie. And he said, I get this, he said, I want it to be a blast and to be funny and to be a ride the way The Force Awakens and the original Star Wars movies were. You serious? You actually uh, said that? Yes, that's what you said. What a mug. Hmm. Well, this is coming from someone whose biggest achievement was directing that movie Looper, right? So... Uh, <laughs> All right, look, we'll see. We'll see if he knocks it out of the park with episode eight, which I highly doubt he will. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, 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 you know, Star Wars, right? Star Wars is always an event, and I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to sharing in that event with you, sharing in that event with my my kids. You know, it's always a big deal. But I'm not going to expect too much this time around. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep my expectations down. I think. And if I'm pleasantly surprised, great. 
Well, I was uh, I was 19, I think, uh, or just, just about to say 19 when Phantom Menace came out. I saw that cin- at the cinema, no joke, I think seven or eight times. <laughs> and um, I was just, I couldn't get enough of it. And um, I think Attack of the Clones I probably saw maybe three or four or five times. And Revenge of the Sith definitely saw four or five times. Um, now, Force Awakens, I think I saw it three times. Yeah, me you know, too, I think, yeah. I was happy to see Luke Leia and Han back, and um, the, the the patricide scene where he kills Han Solo and other things. I thought it's worth seeing this on a big screen more than once. I do not feel that way already about Episode Eight. I saw Rogue One at my local cinema. I saw it once. I didn't go into the city and watch it on a big IMAX screen. And I think it'll be the same with Episode Eight. I'll, I'll watch it once and um, then I'll just wait until it's uh, out on DVD or something and I'll borrow the DVD or somebody because I don't really want to spend another 15 bucks. Yeah, I, I never yeah. bought the Force Awakens DVD and I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I never purchased it. I've got a digital copy, sure, but I never went out of the way, did a pre, you know, like I would do before, you know, get my pre-order in and all that stuff. Didn't bother. Mm. Which says yeah. Well, having said all of this, I don't think Disney care because they're milking it anyway, and there's plenty more people to replace us for, for all the fans who are stepping away from it. There's others filling the breach, I guess. You know, I just remembered something which I didn't say earlier. You remember you said that it was a missed opportunity not to have the gang back together again on Luke and Leia. Yeah. yeah and, and obviously we're never going to see them now, um, literally never going to see them, obviously because Carrie Fisher's gone. Um that was another thing I remember in the making of the original movie. That was another reason why George Lucas cast three relative unknowns was because the chemistry that the three of them had together. Yeah, I think there was. There was he said better. that, didn't he? He said that on um, on the panel discussion. I think he, he repeated it on the on the uh, at celebration. Absolutely, and, yeah. and he, I mean, he could have cast Richard Dreyfuss and um, I can't remember the actress's name who was in. Uh, American Graffiti, that the girl who played Ron Howard's girlfriend, um, I can't remember her name now, but she was she was a lot better known than Carrie Fisher at the time. He could have cast those two, and you know maybe I don't know someone like Kurt Russell who was appearing in Disney movies at the time could have cast him as Luke, and they could have gone and he could have got the the movie made with a bigger budget if he wanted to. One of the reasons he cast those three was because of the chemistry, and it, right. it kind of takes takes a little bit of a dunderhead to not want to realize that again and take advantage of that natural chemistry that's there and all of us would have wanted to see the three of them back together again the fact that they couldn't put a script together to make that happen now that i think think about it is is kind of criminal yeah they didn't they didn't know how to make it work and and it's gone the opportunity is gone um all they've done with han's character and we've lost carrie fish now so that's it and it, and it is sad. It's sad. Um, okay, so we've had we had a good discussion about uh, celebration, and just one final point, and we'll 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 end end it on a positive note. That teaser poster is gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I did like it. I must admit, I did like it. Um, Gorgeously retro, yeah. I think. 
Yeah, you, you you can swallow that. You can take a, a poster being retro. I don't think anyone's got a problem with that. Um, yeah, yeah, gorgeously retro. The the red hue over the whole thing. I mean, I remember when the font for Revenge of the Sith that was done in red, and and it kind of resembled Return of Jedi, but it was inverted, wasn't it? Sort of thing. When they do stuff like that, and they play around with the font or with the style or the intertextuality, I think as they call it. Yep. That's great. You know, and, and and they've and they've got that right. You know. Uh, with that poster but unfortunately it's scant consolation if the film ends up being um you know a disappointment and also i was disappointed it didn't say episode eight on the poster i know that hollywood has moved away from that now they don't call movies part two and part three or whatever they, they sort of give, just give them subtitles don't they but still for this trilogy and the fact that they've re-established it now with the force awakens i thought they could have just put episode eight on there right but yeah, they seem to be deliberately steering clear of that for some reason. Um, depends who you ask. Some say that it causes confusion with a mainstream audience, that they will be um, reluctant to go and see the eighth episode of something if they can't remember seeing the last seven. Um, or And some say it, you know, it, it evokes memories of the prequels and they want to stay clear of that. I mean, I've heard all sorts of silly reasons for that. It, it's sad because, you know, it is part of a big saga and, and it would be nice if um, it, it did say episode eight. But we know it will say it on the opening crawl, so. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say we're not stupid. We know the economics of filmmaking, especially on a big budget, and especially when you've got a corporation that buys a property like Star Wars and they want to make their money back, of course. But... One of the reasons why Star Wars means so much to us is that it transcends, um, uh, it, it, it's supposed to transcend those kind of concerns. Certainly when Lucas was captain of the ship, um, the, the the dollar wasn't the most important thing. You know, for I mean, he made the original movie because he wanted to make it, not because he thought he'd make money. And, and he famously struggled and almost died of exhaust, exhaustion making it. Um, but Star Wars is supposed to transcend the cinema as well. You know, we, there's a reason why people go out and buy the toys, right? Not just kids, but adults as well. They want to own a part of that universe. They want to own a part of Star Wars, you know, and the expanded universe is huge, isn't it? The books, computer games, I, I believe from all the um, merchandising, they make more than they do from the films. Now, yeah. easily in 50, easily. I've said this before, and I, I hope I'm not boring anyone, but in 50 years' time, when they look back on um star wars they will very clearly be able because they won't be colored by ideas of what the original trilogy is what the prequel trilogy is whatever i think they'll know they'll look at star wars in sequence and they'll look at it as the work of a great artist which george lucas is there's no doubt about that they'll look at american graffiti thx one one three eight, indiana jones especially raised the lost ark and they'll see this was a very very talented guy who produced the zenith of popular art through cinema and star wars will be episodes one two three four five six it won't be the force awakens it won't be bloody ryan johnson's last jedi oh so you don't think oh i see so it won't be kathleen kennedy in her slick speeches smiling away and the shareholders going here's another billion dollars that it's made right we can buy another yacht it won't be any of that crap (laughs) it's gonna be episodes one two three four, five, six, a geek with a beard in 1976, sweating his ass off in Tunisia when no one believed him and a British film crew were taking the mickey out of him because no one thought the film would get anywhere. His blood, his sweat, 
made Star Wars. That's what Star Wars is. Yep. Not your J.J. Abrams, not your Ryan Looper Johnsons, not your Kathleen Kennedys, all right? So I just want to get that off my chest. No, no, I totally agree with you. Um, and by then, hopefully, we will, uh, you know, Lucas's treatment, uh, original treatment for the, I think for all three, the sequel trilogy will, will, will have leaked and we would have an idea of where things could have could have gone. I look forward to that, actually. But... Um, why can't why can't North Korea get a move on and hack Disney and get that stuff leaked? You know, <laughs> wait for them to get a move on. Here. It'll leak just a matter of time, and I, I think it will leak. Well, someone will get their hands on it, but I think I think they'll be less protective over it once Nine comes out. We'll, we'll see anyway. We'll see. But um, I um, so you said something to me actually offline it was quite funny you said about this teaser poster that it looks more something along the lines of it looks more epic than probably what we'll get from the movie itself which is probably true yeah it looks like um it could be a poster for a samurai movie yeah uh, um and it gets you it gets your blood going when you see that trailer especially when that red hue which has not really been used in uh promotion for for star wars that was a, a good decision by Disney, whoever came up with that. It's a good idea, creating a poster like that. It harkens back to that original poster of Star Wars, which is quite famous, where, funnily enough, Luke and Leia looked nothing like Hamill and Fisher, because I think the, the guy who painted it didn't actually know what they looked like. Yeah. Was it Tim, Tim Hildebrandt, I think, famous sci-fi painter, artist? Maybe it was him, I might be wrong, but I, I don't think so. It, it harkens back to that cleverly, and then to have Luke's half-face looming large and kylo's one almost as the upstart on the other side it's yeah it's kind of ingenious in its simplicity as well um but i mean disney will be happy if it helps them sell extra tickets but i don't think the film's gonna be able to live up to it unfortunately oh anyway i think i mean as long as there's a lot of luke skywalker in this i think it will do well and and kathleen Ken kennedy went out, out of her way to grab the i think someone's on the mic she grabbed literally grabbed the mic from them during the um, the panel and said you guys have no idea how imp i think it was mark hamill yeah because she said you guys have no idea how how important um how important he is to this movie or how important the part he plays in this movie so i'm hoping for lots of luke um I gosh, if they, I hope they don't kill him off because that would be it. They'd have to bring Lando back then. <laughs> yeah, well, they won't surely. And do you know what? I think anyone who doesn't like spoilers might want to turn the volume down on this one. But did you not say that you heard a rumor that Ray might not be a Solo or a Skywalker? Yeah. Because if that's the, if that's true, I mean, the lineage kind of has ended and with kylo and, and that's that's kind of pointless isn't it because um you remember when that sort of joke video went viral where jj abrams has a tablet and videos of people are coming on there saying asking him questions and one of them is george lucas and he comes on and says whatever happened to darth vader's grandchildren and he kept on asking that question so i actually think you know, i think that there, there, there is no connection to the, um, the the Skywalker lineage apart from Kylo Ren, and I think Lucas isn't happy with it. And um, it's funny because um, um, in March, uh, Disney shareholders were actually treated to um, a very short clip from Episode Eight, and it was actually right. the be the beginning scene. So when Ray 
you know, first meets Luke. And people have gone on Twitter and they've described what they saw. Obviously, no one was able to film it. But um, apparently Luke's first words to her are, who are you? So it's clear she's not his daughter. Well, you know what? I think she might be Kylo Ren's sister. I thought that from before I even saw episode seven. And I think the facts fit. Han and Leia didn't talk of another child in seven. They didn't even hint at anything like that. No, but why would they? Uh, if she was hidden on Jakku to keep her, to protect her or whatever, um, you know, they can explain that away. And also there's that expression that Han has on his face uh, when they're about to land on that planet. Um, I can't even remember what it's called now. You know, the, the, the foresty planet where Maz Kanata's castle uh, is. Takanada, is that it? Something like that. Yeah, Takeshi, when Takanada. Takeshi Kitano, is it? I don't remember. Whatever it is. Um, she, when she's looking out the window, she, she says, I didn't realise there was this much green in the whole universe. And he has like a, a guilty look on his face. Yeah, I think he he was her father. Well, I think it's another reason. Oh, why she knows the falcon on. inside out. Remember that? Because she um, seems to be a natural. Yeah, she seems to be a natural. And also, him offering her a job might have been a ruse to keep her close to him. And uh, there's obviously a connection between her and Leia. I, I think, I think she's related. I think she is a Solo or a Skywalker. Um, and and if the opening line is "Who are you?", um, that could be um, Luke being coy, a bit like Yoda was when he was acting uh, um, a little bit crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When he first Luke, um, I hope so because I I always took that ribbing from Lucas towards Abrams. I just took it to be like uh, confirmation that this new trilogy is about Darth Vader's grandchildren and you know two of them, uh, and and they're both Leia's kids. That's that's what I took it to mean. I hope so. I hope so because I, I you know I won't lie. If there is no connection, if Ray has no connection to the Skywalkers, or I wouldn't say the Solos, but Skywalkers, um, I'm not interested. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. That's right. Hmm. Anyway, anyway, Bronson, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a good discussion. <laughs> we really analysed uh, the, uh, the events of Celebration. Um, look forward to having you back soon, obviously. Um, and so for those of you who don't subscribe to the podcast already, uh, why don't you, but you can do so by going to intersectioncast.com. Uh, you'll find instructions on how to subscribe there. We're on all podcast directories, including iTunes. If you prefer to follow us on social media, you can do so uh, by Facebook. So facebook.com slash intersectioncast or Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Let's Intersect. If you have any questions or any feedback or anything, you know, any, any tips, anything you may want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at intersectioncast.com or you can drop us a Skype voicemail. Our Skype account is is feedback at intersectioncast.com so thank you very much for joining us for another episode of the intersection uh bronson thank you no pleasure thanks for having me okay cool and um until the next time that's a wrap 
the intersection. intersection.